0: Welcome back to another episode of Uplifting Impact. Today, we have Michelle Kedem on with us. And I had the great pleasure of being able to work with Michelle on an executive search. Her team was fantastic. And the minute I thought that I was going to do this podcast, I thought about Michelle and I thought about the team at OnRamps because they have done just such a phenomenal job of really thinking very strategically about how to incorporate diversity, equity, inclusion into every step of their process. Now, what she does at the firm is she is responsible as a managing partner and a founding partner, excuse me, she's responsible in supporting the firm's strategy, the development and external relations and finance of the organization. She also leads client engagements. She works with organizations across a range of issues with an emphasis on impact investing, education, advocacy, and philanthropy therapy. Now, if you are wondering what somebody does before this, basically it's everything because she worked in so many other different places. She worked um, before co-founding Onramps. She worked in finance at Time Inc. She also worked at Deutsche Bank and she went to school at Columbia Business School and also uh, Columbia University's Teachers College for her master's. So You've done a little bit of all of these things and you ended up, and also, did I mention, because I love, 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 love educators, I need to mention that you also have an education background that you, that you taught. So how did you end up doing all of this and then ending, you know, really and working right now at OnRamps
1: and starting it? It's such an interesting question. So I always joke that, you know, nobody should look at the first five years of somebody's resume and <laughs> accuse them of being job poppy. Because most people need to try a number of things before they end up in whatever their career path is. And so I grew up, I loved school. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I thought I loved students. I loved learning. I loved classrooms. But once I got on the other side of the table, it just wasn't the job I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bureaucratic and hierarchical. (laughs) So I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't know why. That was the opposite of teaching. I tried to do a number of different things. I worked on Wall Street because that seemed worth trying, didn't work out, went to business school because that's the best way to get a do-over. And then I did a management rotation program at Time Inc. and saw a little bit more of the business. And finally, that culminated in ultimately my deciding I wanted to go into business for myself. And when I decided that I didn't know what the business would be, But I met up with my two partners, and they were starting a search firm. And I said, great. I've always wanted to do mission-driven work. Can I do the mission-driven part of the search firm? And they said, sure. Two years in, all three of us were doing the mission-driven part of the search firm. And that's all there is to on-ramps at this point. We love the work. We love the meaning. And I've been just so fortunate to get to work with the clients I've gotten to work with.
0: That's awesome. So I'm a big fan of Onramps, and I know the company really well. But can you explain to our audience like what it is you focus on?
1: So we do largely recruiting, um, also some consulting as it relates to recruiting for mission-driven organizations. Typically, that means nonprofits, but not all nonprofits are mission-driven. Not all missions are ones that resonate with us. So think about it. We care about the. We care about social justice. We care about education. We care about work that makes people's lives better. And we help them find the right people to put in the right jobs so that they can succeed.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So if you're looking for a firm or you're in the process, I cannot recommend them high enough. They really are an excellent group of people. And why I, what I said at the beginning here was, you know, that I really appreciated how you incorporated DEI into your work. So can you just talk a little bit about how you got there, what that process looked like for you, um, and sort of some of the steps that you took as an organization that's doing these searches for, for large, for other large organizations?
1: Yeah. So I would say like most businesses, we started, we launched sort of right in the early Obama years and we thought diversity, equity, and inclusion were nice and we were all for it, but I don't think we were as systematic, proactive, focused, engaged as anybody needs to be to really have an impact. About five to seven years ago, we started asking ourselves some hard questions about how do we center this in our work? I think if you're not, if you're doing nothing, you're actually upholding the legacy systems that actually are the oppressive systems that got us to where we are. And if you believe that doing nothing is actually being oppressive, then it's incumbent on you to ask, what should we do and how will we decide what to do? First step, we brought in a consultant and we began the conversation around creating shared language and shared frameworks. It seems so basic, but it's fundamental is a better word than basic. What does this mean to us? What is diversity? Why is diversity important to us? We talked about, we created a document called the mission-driven rationale. Why is diversity fundamental to our mission? It's not just because Diversity is nice, but because we think the world cannot change into the world we want it to be until there's representation at the highest levels of so many, like, you know, everybody from every identity group. I wish I could give you like snaps right now,
0: <laughs> please snaps. Okay. Please, oh my sorry gosh. to interrupt you. <laughs> no.
1: And then equally as important is you get better team performance when you don't have group think, when you don't have all the same kind of people sitting in the room thinking the same thing as one another who asks the hard questions, who asks what they think is an easy question that turns out to be a hard question you just don't get that interplay if you're not systematically focused on making sure your leadership table includes people from every walk of life. So we started that early in our process. We did, you know, so we're, we're a search firm. We do recruiting. And so we run these processes. We start with, uh, you know, everything from business development to signing the contract to having a kickoff meeting, sourcing and assessing candidates. We present them to the client. Client then does three rounds of interviews. We negotiate an offer. We get to a conclusion. That's the, right. arc. That's the arc of search. Sure. Well, we would, we would need days for me to tell you all the ways that bias, implicit, and explicit can creep into that process. Okay. We so that need, here,
0: yeah, yes. I agree with you. But I do, one thing I just want to point out before we even get into the day's worth of stuff that we could talk about is that you actually started with an internal process,
1: yeah, we started with what we called a diversity equity and inclusion audit and right. we mapped out our and then we we basically think of it as a timeline with hot spots. Let's open up Pandora's box here. Now let's sure. look in this box. Now let's look in this box. And we created a calendar sort of in month 1. These are the boxes that we think are either most important or I hate the I I hate all business clichés, but low hanging fruit. There are probably some things we could do quickly and easily, like changing the way we um, pitch business and changing the way we do a kickoff meeting so that people know that um, this is going to be important to us. Now, I, I say that we just completely revamped our kickoff agenda. And as of last week, we'll be adding a separate meeting solely devoted to diversity, equity and inclusion, as opposed to a section of our launch meeting. That said... It used to be something that we hoped would come up. We'd like to come up, but we didn't write it. Into sure intentional them, we didn't about have it. systematic questions. We asked right. our client right now. Now, right now we have so many systematic questions. We need a whole new meeting. just for it. <laughs> and we tell people in the business development process, this is something we're going to do. So if we're not right for you, if your organization doesn't see it as a core value, we're not right for you. And if you do, some of it's going to be really compelling, interesting work, and some of it's going to be hard. And we sure. want to be on this journey with you, but it's going to be a journey.
0: So I just wanted to point that out though, because I think a lot of times, you know, when we talk to people and we talk about what their activities might be or where they might be headed, a lot of them will start with all of these external things, right? Well, this is that, and that, but they don't start with the internal things and then they're confused. Like, well, why didn't it work? We we, we said we were going to change this and we said we are going to do this and we pushed out this and we requested this or we told our team this, but they don't take that moment for that internal audit. So I just didn't mean to take you away no. from some, because I would like to get into some of the things that after you did the audit, because there are things that you've done that are in other people's boxes, right? That you discovered yeah. in your box that you know are in other people's boxes because you're interfacing with them So tell us about some of the the strategies that you've used or that you've changed thinking about how you go about this work and really source and bring in a great candidate slate.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the things we started doing was looking at all our externally facing documents for potentially problematic language. So it's becoming increasingly normalized to use third person plural, they, when talking about a first person. But job descriptions used to be either he or he slash she, which would call out how inclusive we're being, but the default was a man. We rewrote all our job descriptions. They now use the word they. It is, you know, very important to us. That was, that's a good example of easy, low hanging fruit. Um, We also, so at the beginning of every search, I don't know how much people know about search, but there's a research team that looks at, let's say you're looking for a CFO. You're looking at all of the CFOs for nonprofits, maybe in a geographic region. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to do that research, but we're going to layer on keyword identifiers that we call credible cues that somebody identifies as a person of color. So we're going to look at, did this, you know, might this person have attended a historically black college or university? Might this person have joined a professional, you know, the National Association for Black Accountants? Might this person have participated in a historically um, Black sorority or fraternity, one of the divine nine? And these are ways that we think it's likely, if we don't proactively take these steps in our outbound research early in the process, we're not gonna get a diverse slate because again, doing nothing upholds the oppressive systems that fed us through our youth. So we're really mindful. So we're changing the job description to take out any language that might be coded as. Don't apply. Yeah. You're as not coded as, yeah, sort of grounded in historically, you know, when you start talking about different degrees, advanced degrees, all these sort of things, it's not so much that you don't want someone with an advanced degree but there's a certain kind of person who doesn't have an advanced degree and will apply anyway. And someone who doesn't have an advanced degree and will think this isn't for me. Right. And so if you take that out, now you're equally welcoming to everybody. And that's been interesting for me. Right. So who reads a document and decides this speaks to me or this doesn't, who are we proactively reaching out to, Mm -hmm. to create a diverse body and then, Once we have a candidate pool, have we asked ourselves who's interviewing them and are we making sure that the slate is balanced by all the factors, race, gender? I'm gonna pause. It also matters what your mission is. If you are, for instance, an internationally focused organization, then it is really important that your interview panel is diverse by nationality. Absolutely. If you are an organization that is focused on LGBTQ plus rights or services, it's really important that your slate is diverse by gender and sexual identity. So right. we're also not thinking about diversity in a vacuum, but its relationship to the Char- mission at hand. as well as its relationship to the composition of your team. And your community too, right? Exactly. That You are are
0: hoping to serve because we are talking about service-oriented organizations. So that's really important. Now you just said something and I want to make sure that we don't skip over this because this was something that I thought was really interesting about your process. As part of your research, you also went into the organizations that you support and the organizations that you're working for. And you talk to people and kind of get a sense of whether or not, and I love this, whether or not the organization is ready to handle a diverse candidate pool. And I think that that, I mean, that must be kind of touchy, right?
1: And also challenging, but I'm so glad that you do it. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we start with a listening tour and the listening tour is just the beginning. I mean, this idea of being talent ready, particularly in organizations. And I will say, we saw this a lot more 2014, 15, 16, when lots of organizations and the culture was embarking on this dialogue. If it's 2020 and you're still largely non-diverse at the top, there's probably a little bit more complexity than there was with the organizations. You know, if you've resisted this long, Mm -hmm. there's probably some greater unpacking that needs to happen versus being midstream on this journey. But we're having, we're, we're doing a listening tour and we're listening for What is going on? So there are a few few questions we ask. A really important question we ask is, what steps have you taken already to support people from all backgrounds in your organization? So have you hired an outside facilitator to facilitate hard conversations? Have you looked at your own policies, your own promotion philosophies, your own compensation to make sure that you feel good that everything is banded correctly have you you know nor, have you created a shared set of frameworks and language for your organization so that these topics are sort of demystified and destigmatized and so when organizations have done that they're better able to not just hire people and i will say it is really important just to, if you're a super talented person of color, you don't want to go to an organization in 2020 that hasn't taken those steps and you don't have to because the culture is changing and so many organizations have. And,
0: and that's one of the things I was wondering about too, because as you talk to candidates, are you seeing an increase in the number of questions that people are asking about potential, you know, employers when it relates to what they're like diversity, equity, inclusion are you are, are you seeing a push-pull situation or are you seeing it on both sides?
1: I'm seeing it on both sides. And I I think there are two factors going on. So at first, I I do think the culture has changed tremendously. There were some big watershed moments um, right around Black Lives Matter that really changed and brought above the surface tensions that were hiding under the surface that needed to be unearthed. We have a long way to go, but conversations have become have started. But I also personally am starting the conversation and all the interviews I do, regardless of where, you know, one of the things that's really important for us is that we have a standard interview guide. We do that for equity purposes. Well, part of that interview guide is introducing the topic so that it's not somebody else's burden to start the conversation with me. So yes, the culture has changed, but also we at Onramps have worked to change.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's important, you know, because a lot of people who are listening to this, they may be in the place right now where they are hiring, or they may be in a place right now, where they're considering going into a role. And one of the things I will tell people all of the time, no matter if you're the person who's, you know, hiring, or if you're the person who's looking for the job, is this conversation about culture, if it doesn't happen during the recruiting process, and people don't understand where you sit, nobody wants to be surprised. Right? Nobody yes. wants to be surprised in, in this space. It's just, it's not fun. And so being able to infuse your entire system with this dialogue so that it, it does become part of the culture and part of what the expectation is that you can have these really frank conversations is important for the health of the whole organization.
1: And I'll also say for the organizations that are really centering this, and, and this is a place where the nonprofit sector, mission-driven organizations, actually, you know, there's this antiquated like, oh, cute baby nonprofit should learn from the private sector. I actually think the private sector could learn from the nonprofit sector here because of the nature of our work. Mm -hmm. We've centered this dialogue. And the reality is if an organization has centered the dialogue, they're not going to want a candidate that's not bringing it up. Right. Like they want the candidate that cares Because, you know, it's interesting, I'm working with one client and they said, it's not that I want to hire someone to come solve this for me. It's that this is a burden we all carry. And I really want whoever walks in and assumes this role to come share changing this society alongside us. And it was really beautiful imagery. I really, I now quote it to everybody who applies (laughs) for that job. And it makes the people who care want that job more. Absolutely. So I'm just so glad
0: that we had the chance to chat here today. You know, there's a lot of, no matter what organization you're in, no matter what sector you're in, everybody knows that doing HR and bringing people in is literally the most important thing that you can do to make sure that your organization thrives. The fact that you're creating a space you know, through what on ramps is doing, the fact that you're really leading the charge in how we can try out these different things and bring them in is just such a, I mean, it's just, it's just so awesome. So thank you so much for doing that. My pleasure. and I just wanted, I just, I got a little bit of a, and I just wanted to say (laughs) that one of the things uh, that everybody listening can really do with this information is you can apply it. You can take it and look at your own practices and the things that you are doing in your own process. You might be, you know, doing a a search right now and you could think about, well, what is the link? Look at your job description. What language in there is necessary? What's really not necessary, but maybe, you know, be pushing people off. Look at the, the all the steps in your process. Can you do an audit yourself? Maybe if you could bring somebody in to do it, great. But if you can't, can you just look at the practices yourself? Can you do a listening tour? How was the onboarding process for the people who have come into your organization? How is it different for different groups that are in the organization and their experience of what that feels like? These are all questions that as leaders, we really have to own. And I love what you just ended with this idea that, you know, the greatest leaders, the ones who people want to hire are the ones who are elevating this conversation to the top. They're not waiting for it. They understand that it's critical. In their jobs, so I am so grateful that we got a chance to chat, Michelle. It's always so wonderful uh, to be able to talk to you. If people wanted to connect with you or on ramps or want to hire you because of all the wonderful things that you're doing, how, what's the best way to do that?
1: Well, um, we're active on social media, so definitely you can find us there. If you come to our website, there's a little contact form, and obviously people can find me, you know, email and and ask for me specifically, but ask for any of us because None of it matters if you don't make it organization-wide. So you're not going to get a greater commitment from me than any of my colleagues. In fact, I've learned so much from my colleagues. I would be totally remiss if I didn't shout out that, A, I, like everyone in this nation, is still on a learning journey. And B, I'm learning so much from my colleagues every day. So reach out to us on social media or find us on our website.
0: Awesome. We'll make sure that we put all that information in the show notes. For those of you who have had the opportunity to listen or to watch today, just want to say thank you so much. We hope that you continue to follow us here at Uplifting Impact. We do believe that if you are having this conversation and you are including these practices in your work, you are going to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive world. And that is absolutely what we need in order to thrive. Take care.